<laughs> stop speech, stop speech. <laughs> oh, there's Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Um, uh, we got stock options. <laughs> stock options and 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 what in the church? That's right. That's right. Taco Bell. Here we come. Uh, <laughs> I'm so appreciate you guys. It's been a, it's just a joy. I, I didn't expect this. Uh, it's been a joy just to, to, to be here and to, to be involved in your guys' lives and to shepherd and to work two hours a week and get paid for it. And, and uh, just really appreciate it um, so, so much. I really do. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, one last thing I just want to kind of announce is I just made, we made some copies of these for you guys. Some of you guys over the new year is coming and you might want to uh, start like a Bible reading plan or something like that. And a lot of times we go, oh, I can't keep up with those. So we found a five day a week plan. For those of you, or those of us, that are tired, so if you want, so this is just something, you don't have to do it, but this is just something we thought that in order to keep you focused a little bit, because people are, what do I read? What should I do? I think that if you're thinking about reading through the Bible this year, if you would like to do it, which I, I highly recommend that you do, you do that every once in a while, that you read, read, um, read the Bible, maybe even just through chronologically as it, or as it goes, or like this, where it kind of jumps you around a little bit, but it eventually gets you through the whole Bible. So I would encourage you to do that. So this is one of those things you can kind of check off. You can catch up a little bit if you miss a day or two, or don't, you don't have to do it. Okay? No, we're not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not taking role or points or no one is, but I just encourage you with that. But what I do want to encourage you when you do, anytime you're in the Word, anytime that you're reading the Bible, I just want to really encourage you with something about that. It's not to just read it and then go on your day. I think we're notorious as followers of Christ of reading God's Word a lot of times and go, I read the Word. I'm good. But we really haven't absorbed it. We really haven't meditated like God. We're told to meditate on God's word. That means to, to just soak in it a little bit, kind of marinate it. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean what it means. Okay, what did I read today, God? Asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. What, have, what did I just read? Or before we read, show me afterwards. What does this mean for me? What's one little nugget that I can get out of this? It's interesting that um, Jeremiah and another couple guys, we get together, and Todd, we get together uh, once a week, and we, we've decided what we're going to do is we're going to read through, we're going to read different books of the Bible, but we decide what we're going to do is we're going to read after a week, but we're going to read that chapter as many times as we possibly can before we get to it, at least five or six times before we get together. And I got to tell you, it's revolutionized my whole way of approaching being in, with a group of others and reading the word together, because that's where I get to marinate it. Because really for me, it takes like the third or fourth time to reading something. And go, oh, okay. So I just want to encourage with that, just as you read God's word, don't just flippantly read through it. If you're going to spend, you know, I saw a thing the other day, how much time should I spend on a quiet time every day? Is five minutes enough? And five minutes is fine. But if you're going to spend five minutes with God every day, don't take five minutes, read your Bible, then go on with your day. Take three minutes, read your Bible, and then just reflect and marinate in what you just read. Let the Spirit speak to you. And then desire to come back to it throughout the day, you know, as something reflects you. Oh, what was that verse again? Or what was that concept? Does that make sense? Because I think we get into like, you know, this performance. If you're anything like me, I'm very performance oriented. 
And I get into, all right, I've been very consistent with my quiet time. I've been consistent with my reading time. But it was a rote just kind of checking it off. So I sort of really want to encourage you um, with that. So that's what this was for, just something like that, if you want to do that. Um, let me pray and we'll jump into God's word. Father God, I thank you for this day. Thank you that we are so close to um, a day that we just celebrate the, the God of the universe coming to, down here in flesh, in the form of a baby, the most helpless creature, humbly, Father, in a stinky stable to a, a young teenager to, but surrounded and celebrated by unknown shepherds and just <laughs> all so that we could have an intimate relationship with you. Oh my gosh, thank you for that, God. And God, as we look into your word today and what it means to share that message with others, God, may you enlighten us by your word this morning. In his Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, I told you guys a couple weeks ago, or said that like in the past, December's have been a tough month for me. Better lately in the last decade or so, but a lot of times I, and I, and I was telling someone the other day, I don't know if it's the shortness of the days. Thank you. We are one minute longer today <laughs> than we were yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, um, or, I don't, you know, for me, I'm, I've been, uh, when I was younger, I was pretty cynical. And I think the whole cynicism of the holidays, I'd be like, don't tell me to love Jesus. Or don't tell me to concentrate on Jesus more in December. I, you know, I was kind of like that attitude. And really what I've found that's helped me to kind of get through that mentality of struggling with December is, to, ironically, duh, Focus on Jesus <laughs> and not on all the stuff swirling around the Jesus thing. Does that make sense? Because I find that I get caught up in that. I get, if anything, how I get caught up in it, I just get cynical more about it going, stop all the craziness and all the shopping and all the, 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 the busyness and all that stuff. And I've realized that I can block that out to a certain degree if I make Jesus my main focus. And not just in a pithy holiday kind of way, but what does that mean to make Jesus the focus of my day every day? What does that mean to wake up in the morning and say, I want Jesus to be my focus as I go about doing whatever it is I do? And so that's the kind of the season we're in right now. But really what that tells me too is we have an incredible message to share with the world, don't we? Think about what we get to share with the world, what we know. Typically, if you have something this good, this amazing, you are tweeting about it, Facebooking about it, you're telling the, I mean, people go crazy when they hear about great things. Typically, we would do that, but we also know that we live in a, in a battleground. So how do you effectively share? Because I think for all of us as followers of Jesus, we would say that it's our desire to be able to effectively share our faith with our unsaved uh, co-workers and neighbors and friends and even family members. The problem is, though, so often when it comes to what I'll call personal evangelism, we are often terrified, right? 
Often the idea of sharing your faith with someone is a terrifying thing. We worry whether we're going to say something incorrect or, or worse, that we're going to say something that absolutely alienates the people we're sharing with from us or even more, we're, alien, we're going to say something that's going to make them go, oh, now I definitely don't want to have anything to do with a Christian faith if you're going to say that. So I think these are some of the things that cause us to have these fears. Now, there are many effective elements that we, and we can and we should learn when it comes to sharing our faith, okay? Yet this passage, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, and we're just, what we're doing is no special Christmas talk. We're going to talk, we're going to keep on in the book of Acts today because I think it's very relevant, relevant, wow, relevant for what this season is really all about. It's about the good news of Christ and this incredible message that we have. And what we're going to look in this passage is actually gives us a few important elements and how to share our, the gospel with people as demonstrated by this guy named Philip. We're actually going to get a picture of someone doing personal evangelism. We get a picture of how to, how, what are some key elements that are important for us. Now, if you remember, we were first introduced to Philip back in chapter 6 of Acts, if you've been following along with us, where he was one of the seven that was chosen, remember, to help that problem that the church was having with the widows. Certain widows weren't being taken care of, and he was one of the seven guys that was uh, asked to help out with that. And last week, remember, if you were here, we saw that he was one of the believers that was scattered. Remember, they had scattered out in all over the place, remember, because Stephen had gotten stoned and Saul was persecuting, grabbing, going door to door, taking Christians and throwing them in jail. So he was one of those guys that, that went out and he went and shared the gospel, remember, in, in Samaria and he had a tremendous results. People were coming like crazy. Mass crowds were coming to Christ. So, but here's the thing. So far, it's mostly been these large crowds, these large groups, sometimes hundreds, sometimes even thousands of people that have responded to the gospel so far as we've looked in in Acts. The early church, grow, church grew exponentially at the very beginning. It wasn't just, it, there were individuals that came to, to know Jesus, but it was like massive. It was like going to a Billy Graham crusade. If you ever, back in the day, you know, I, I'm old enough to know that I've been to a Billy Graham crusade and just watched watching the hundreds, if not thousands of people pour forward to accept Christ. We don't see that anymore. Even Billy Graham himself had said not too long ago that that really isn't the way evangelism is done effectively anymore. It's typically done for you and me, especially one-on-one, -on -one, right? It's through the relationships that we have with people. Now, thankfully, this morning, once again, like I said, we get a chance to see what an effective example of one-on-one -on -one evangelism looks like, okay? But what we're going to see is that although it's, we know that it's the Holy Spirit that's the one that ultimately draws people to Jesus, it's his job to do that. There's still important elements to effectively sharing the gospel with people that we should be prepared to apply. So let's just jump right in. We're in chapter 8. Look at verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go forward to the, the, toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. I just want to stop right there real quick. So we see that this angel comes to Philip while he's still in Samaria, and he tells him, Listen, I want you to go down towards Gaza. Now, you got to understand where he was telling him to go. It even tells us this was a what place? 
a desert place. Okay, this was literally the last water stop before you entered the desert as you headed to Egypt, okay? So this was like the boonies, all right? This was, you, you name the town that you know that's way out there and say, we better potty, get something to eat before we go any further <laughs> because it's nothing after this, okay? So even, but here's the thing, even though this angel appears to Philip and tells him to go, I still think that, I still think that we always look at what, oh, someone appeared to someone in the Bible or the spirit told someone, they all went, yep, I'm on, I'm on it. But we forget that they were people. They were people with fears and insecurities and all that stuff, just like we have. I think Peter might've been thinking, why there? And, and, and why now? Things are getting really exciting here in Samaria. I mean, revival has broken out in Samaria. Remember the people that the Jews hated? There's revival that's, that's breaking out because he had been sharing his faith and people were coming. And remember, it even said that there was great joy in the city. I mean, this city was turned around because of the gospel, message of the gospel. And now Peter's been told he's got to leave. That's got to be difficult. Who would want to leave to the outskirts of the desert after all of this? I don't know. I don't want to project. Maybe he was really willing, but I have a feeling these guys were more, more human than we think. And he might have been thinking, oh, a test is coming. I remember what happened to Jesus. What happened to Jesus? Where, after his baptism, where did he go? Desert. <laughs> to the desert. And that was not easy. He faced the devil. So who knows what he knew was going on. So number one on your notes here, what we see here with Philip is the first important element of effectively sharing the gospel with people is, it's, is a sensitivity and obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. A sensitivity and obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. One, and one of the, here's the thing. We say, oh, okay, what does that mean? Do I just wait? Is he going to tap me on the shoulder? Well, how does that work? Well, the Holy Spirit speaks in many different ways to us, through other people, through our spirit, through our mind, through our conscience, through all sorts of things. Sometimes through a sermon like this, I hope, every once in a while. But he does, he works things. But really the best way to learn to cultivate sensitivity and obedience to the Holy Spirit is really to learning to lay down our plans and really to put aside our preconceived notions of how God works and where we should be. Is it so easy to think, oh yeah, of course, it makes sense that God would do this with me next. That just makes a whole lot of sense. But what did God say? Your ways are not my ways. They're just not the same. I don't, you don't think like I think. I think God may even oftentimes move us from where all the action seems to be. Everything seems to be really good here. Family is here. God is working here. Of course I'm supposed to stay here. That just, that just makes sense. That God often tells us to do something that is absolutely crazy to us. Sometimes that crazy thing is to stay. When we think, I got to get out of here. But it's a learning that sensitivity. This was the case for my wife and I back in the late 90s when we first, we were we knew that we wanted to go on the mission field, and so we went and our church graciously paid for us to go and visit a place that we had look, been looking at in, in Germany, a boarding school, and uh, we wanted to consider working there. So the church said, you know what, it's probably best if you go there, check it out, and see it firsthand. So we did that. 
And after visiting for a few days and uh, seeing what this job of running a dorm with 27 high school boys, including our own, ages 1 to 11, we, after we saw that, that, what that would look like and what that entail, I got to tell you, my wife and I were like, no, thank you. <laughs> we just said, this is a great ministry, but that is crazy. We don't think that we can do this, especially after one dorm parent couple we, that we met with. We really liked these guys there, and they, had all, they were dorm parenting, and they also had young children, and they gave us one word of advice run. <laughs> they just said, run. This is a great place, but wow, this will be really diff- difficult. So we said, so we came home. We thought, okay, that's not what we're going to do. They, we had some other options we we're talking to them about, but we just didn't think that would happen. Uh, but about a week later, we get a call from the school and they're asking us, would you at least pray? <laughs> would you at least pray about reconsidering. And I, we graciously, I remember being on the phone, so tell them, you know what, thank you. We, uh, we, we know, we're sure that this position wasn't a good fit for our family, but you know what? Yes, my wife and I, we will be willing to pray about it some more. <laughs> lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, within a few days, God made it crystal clear to both Kathy and I that we were supposed to go. I mean, it was crystal clear to us where a week before, no way. Here we are a week and a half later, we felt, we knew that God was telling us to go. From what we felt, talking with other people, it it was clear that we were supposed to go. Now, was that time of dorm parenting in Germany with four of our own kids and a bunch of other teenage boys, was it difficult and smelly? Uh, Yes. It was. It was difficult. You bet it was. But I got to tell you, it was also some of the most fulfilling ministry I've ever been a part of in my entire life. We saw God do things that we never imagined in us and through us, through our brokenness. We actually came back four and a half years later due to my just having to deal with my depression and things like that. But even in the midst of that, God still did it. And my kids this day talk about those t- that time in their life with incredible fondness and how that just really shaped their, their life. But really this all came because we did our best to be sensitive and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens when it comes to sharing our faith with people, is being obedient. How, think of how many opportunities to share our faith with someone do we miss because we're not listening? Do we miss because we're caught up in so much of our own stuff instead of just being, I want to know. So that's a posture that it, it takes learning too of constantly doing. In Philip's case, his sensitivity and obedience led him led the Holy, to the Holy Spirit, led him to this very unique witnessing opportunity. Look what happens in the next verse, verse 27. It says, and he, aro- he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of, Ca- of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who ha- was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So we see on this deserted road where you probably see one person every five weeks on this road, here's this guy, he encounters Ethiopian eunuch. He's this, you gotta understand, this is a powerful, important man. Okay, this is who this guy was. He was a treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia and he was headed back to Ethiopia 
after worshiping in Jerusalem. So we know that he must have been uh, a follower of Judaism because not only is he returning from Jerusalem, he was reading the prophet um, Isaiah. Now, we don't get, you can go look up what a eunuch is if you want to find out all that stuff, but there were reasons why there were, there were certain men that did in very important jobs that had to do be around the queen that were eunuchs. Got it. Um, <laughs> So, this is a very successful, wealthy, and powerful man. And as we're going to see, he's seeking answers from the Scripture. Look what happens next in verse 29. It says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? So once again, we see Philip's sensitivity to the Spirit as he tells him to go join this eunuch up in his chariot. Now, once again, we can't assume that this was like, all right, got my marching orders and no brain involved. We can't, we can't assume that, that it was easy for him. I mean, have you ever had this sense, maybe the spirit of God is nudging you to engage with somebody, especially maybe someone who's uh, a more, you sense more powerful or more influential, someone of greater authority and you sense, or even just being around them and all of a sudden these insecurities start to bubble or you know, you know what it's like when there's someone in the room that you know, okay, that person is like, they're the most important person in the room. They're the most influential person in the room. And sometimes we feel like only certain people can really engage with them at times. And I know I've felt that. I've been in relationships with some people or being to talk to someone and sensing the Lord wants me to just encourage that person or whatever and going, okay, this person is a power, powerful person. They can bring up some insecurities in what I say. I better watch what I say. And this might have been the case with Philip due to the fact that, you know, this guy was, a, not only was he a foreigner, but he was also a dignitary. This was no small guy whatsoever. Okay, he was important. Now, notice what Philip does first. And now that he takes the initiative with this guy. He doesn't just wait around. He doesn't just sit there and go, okay, the Spirit told me to come up here and go, hi, and just sit there and wait. No, he takes the initiative with this guy, okay? And what he does is um, that to realize that this is often the hardest part sometimes, isn't it, with sharing our faith. We don't know how or where to begin, right? Oftentimes we sense, okay, I'm supposed to share my faith. And we go, what do I say? What do I say? Okay, where do I start? Here's a booklet by, you know, we, sometimes we just don't know a lot of times where to start. We don't know how or where to begin. Yet what we see Philip doing here is he's taking the initiative and he's noticing that this eunuch is reading something. And what does he do? He asks a question. He asks this eunuch a question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? This is the second thing on, our, on your notes if you want to be following along. The second important element of effectively sharing the gospel with, with people is taking the initiative by asking thoughtful and sincere questions. I think so often we were, we're so concerned about what we're going to say that we think we just got to get that out there. When this is a very important thing, because questions are a great way of taking the initiative because they help us start where people are, help us right where we're at, because the answers to these thoughtful and sincere questions that we ask help us to better understand where these people are actually coming from. And, and then, like we talked about before, how the gospel actually speaks to their needs, to where they're at. So often we're ready, and you just need to know the four spiritual laws, or you just need to know this truth. When so often, if we know what their issues is, and we know what's important to them, we know what's going on in their life, we'll know better how to speak the truth of the gospel into that. Does that make sense? I think so often we're worried about, I got to get it right. 
Versus I got to know this person's needs. I got to know where this person is at. And that's only going to come as we ask questions. A friend of mine says this. He says, sharing your faith is not a confrontation, but communication. That's what it is. It's about communicating. It's back and forth. It's not about simply disseminating information and hoping that people will understand it. It's about knowing, these, knowing the person we're sharing. Now, depending on where you are in the relationship with this person, there are different types of questions you can ask, okay? One of them, which is, this is, I got this from our own Sue Warnke back there who had a great blog talking about how to engage others. She, this is a great question. What's your faith background or how did you grow up? That's, isn't that a, that's a great question because I mean, whoa, hey, people are gonna freak out at that. That's a very disarming question when you're gonna be talking about faith issue things, Okay. What's your faith background? How did you grow up? Or you can even go other different, like I said, depending on where your relationship and where your conversation is. Like, what do you think what happens after you die? I mean, that, that, that'll get people thinking, won't they? Because some people will just say, hey, I never thought about it. Other people might be going, I have been thinking about that. And opens up those doors. Once again, a good question. Or what about this? I mean, even things like this. What do you think about that shooting at the mall that we saw in the news? And you start, you know, because we're always talking about the news. Using, by the way, using what's happening in our world is a fantastic way to launch into a spiritual discussion. Fantastic way. Like, what do you think about that shooting news? And you say, how do you handle the possibility of something like that happening? What do you think about when there's the possibility of knowing that a sh- you might be at the mall and a shooter comes or at your kid's school and a shooter happens? That's going to get the wheels turning. Can you see how these things can launch us into understanding? We can under, help understand where they are in their spiritual journey. It gives us a gauge of where they're at. It helps us understand what they value. It helps us understand what they fear. Does that make sense? How questions are such a good way of, be, of sharing. our. We don't think about that. Oh, I'm supposed to share my faith. That means share, share, share. No. Ask the questions before you share. We want to ask these kinds to help us know where people are in their journey. So notice what happens after. So, so Philip does that. He could have just said, oh, I see you're reading Isaiah. Oh, that's a great book. Have you, have you done, a, have you done, oh, Jonah? <laughs> Did you hear about that guy? No, he, he goes, do you understand? Do you even get what you're reading? Do you understand that? Now notice what happens after he asked that. Look in verse 31. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent. And he, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can, who can describe this, his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? So we see here that the eunuch is willing to admit, I don't understand. I don't understand what, he's t- what I'm reading here. And he invites Philip. See how that question? He invites Philip in. <laughs> Not only did the door open, he was allowed to come on and in, the, in the door. Now, interesting that the passage that this guy just so happens to be reading, just so happens to be reading, comes from chapter 53 of Isaiah that describes the prophecy concerning Jesus' humiliating suffering and his humiliating crucifixion. And the Ethiopian guy, he wants to know, 
who is this? Is he talking about himself or is it somebody else? I got to know. I need to know. You see, this guy was sincerely curious. He wanted to know what is this about? He wanted to know the truth. Obviously, God had been working in this guy's life. Or he wouldn't have been reading this and he wouldn't be saying, I want to know. This is the third thing on your notes. There's the third element of effectively sharing the gospel with people is being sensitive and alert to hearts that God has been preparing. Being sensitive and alert to hearts that God has been preparing. And this is where those thoughtful and sincere questions come in. But it also takes the pressure off of us. You see, because whether a person comes to Christ or not, it's completely up to God. It's not up to us. But we need to be sensitive and alert to whom God has already been doing some work on. You know, I don't know about you, but I can do this. It's so easy to assume that people just aren't interested, right? It's so just easy to assume they don't want to hear. I, I know them. Or I've heard them talk. I know they're not interested. I can bet, I'll bet, my, I'll bet the farm on this one that they do not want to hear about, about Jesus. It's easy to assume that. And there are some people that are that way. You know, you've probably had that before. The topic of faith comes up. I don't want to hear it. That's okay. That's okay. Because that's what they say today. That's what they, that's what they say right then. Yet we often have no idea how God has been working in a person's life or how he is wanting to use us in the process of drawing people to themselves. You might be someone that's the fifth link in a chain of 12 that God wants to use to help bring someone to Christ. Or you might be link number 12. We don't know. We can't assume that the other links haven't already been chained together and God is preparing someone's heart no matter what is coming out of their mouth. Think about those of you that came to know the Lord as beyond, maybe as a teenager or beyond. Was it something that just all of a sudden, was it a, a one-time thing? Was it a one-time, for at one moment, you're not interested in God at all, nothing, 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 and all of a sudden, Bam. Chances are, even if you can't remember it, God was working on your life. God was working in your heart. We need to know that. We need to be thinking that when we're talking to someone and not just assuming, oh, this is, oh, I even look at their lifestyle even. There's no way. According to their lifestyle, they would never want to hear about Jesus because when you think about Jesus, you think about the opposite of their lifestyle. Okay, forget it. Who knows who's already been talking to? Who knows what they've been going through that God is preparing them to hear more about Jesus? We just need to be ready. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, look at these verses, because we think, oh, people just don't want it. He says this, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white or ripe or ready for harvest. He told his disciples, because they're about to go out, he says, look at, oh my goodness, there's so many people that are ready. You can't even see it. They're ready to be just plucked right out. You're thinking we need to sow the ground first, and yes, we do, but there's some people that are ready to be plucked. Elsewhere, he told them this. In Matthew, he said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You see, not only are we to be praying for harvesters here, he says we are to be harvesters. But I don't have the gift of evangelism. What does that have to do with it? 
someone who has the gift of evangelism. That just means that the Holy Spirit has endowed them, given this, this gift to be able to speak into people's lives and be able to kind of almost intuitively be able and with a passion be able to speak the gospel in other people's lives. That doesn't mean that we, the rest of us though, aren't supposed to have that same passion to share the, the, the love of Christ with other people and it's not our job to do that either. Remember we talked about that. There's different parts of the body and they're all necessary, but we don't leave the sharing of Jesus up just to the people that have the gift of evangelism. We can't do that. That's, that's impossible. We work together. Maybe the person that you know, someone that has the gift of evangelism, you know what the great idea would be? If you start to feel like, I want to share my faith, partner up with that person. Start spending some time with that person. Say, tell me, I, I can sense you have the gift of evangelism. How does that play out in your life? How does that make your mind think? How does that work when you talk to people? What, you know, that doesn't mean that, okay, because you're going to get that gift, but it can help us. That's what the body is supposed to do. We're supposed to help one another, okay? So we're supposed to be praying for and be the harvesters because the truth is that all, there are all kinds of people out there that are dying to get some answers to life's difficulties and questions. They're just dying to know. And God wants to use us. Our job isn't to talk someone into being a Christian. That's not our job. But we can look for people that are already prepared. And the only way to do that is to come alongside them and to listen to what God has already been doing. Listen to what's been happening. I think so many people are turned off by Christians when they share their faith because the Christians seem like they don't care about their life. They just care about their soul. Does that make sense? You can care about someone's soul, but really, do you really care about them? You're almost a notch in their, you're almost, they're almost just a notch in your belt. That's not going to lead people to Christ. It's your love for them that is going, and knowing them that's going to do it. And that, you know what that means nowadays? Nowadays, that means it's not about the Billy Graham crusade. It's about the long process of coming alongside other people in their life. We think, oh, wait a second. That's going to take, that might take a couple years for them to come to Christ. Guess what? A couple years are probably going to still pass. So why not invest in some people that don't know Jesus and just slowly start to get to know them and just be a part of their life and wait and listen. That's what we should be doing. That, and that's what we, we see here. Now, look at this. Phil, Phillips, um, we see in Philip's re reply uh, to this man's question as to the prophet he's speaking about. Look what he says. Philip opened his mouth, which is a good thing when you're going to talk. Um, and beginning with his scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And this right away, this gives us the fourth thing right here. Fel uh, element of effective sharing the gospel with people. Number four, it's simply explaining what the Bible says about Jesus. I know you're thinking, duh. But that's how we be, should be doing it. It's that simple. You don't have to be a theologian or a Billy Graham Jr. to tell people about Jesus. You just need to make sure to make him the main theme of what you're sharing. See, and this is what happens a lot of times too. It's not our job in witnessing people to explain um, the ins and outs of the church. Have you ever had that before? I, I know I have. I feel like I'm telling people about what it means to be a Christian, but I almost feel like I have to apologize for Christians first. You know, it's almost like, well, let me explain to you, because they're like, what? I don't understand. Why do Christians do that? But we feel like we got to get into this big defense of Christianity or the church or, or talking about what the Bible says about sexuality or politics or all these social issues. Now, the Bible does speak to those things. 
But our main focus in wanting people to know Christ is to simply tell them about Jesus from what the Bible says about Jesus. Okay? What does the Bible say about Jesus? Our main focus needs to be about that, about his birth, about his teachings, about his death, and about his resurrection that paid for our sin and enables us to have a a relationship with him and live for eternity with him. You see, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, the most powerful and effective witnessing tool besides our own life and our own testimony is the truth about who Jesus is found in Scripture. Jesus, he himself even said this. He said this to his disciples right after he, was, he came, resurrected and he came and visited them and saw them. He says, this he says in Luke, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand what? The scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name in all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You see, Jesus understood this truth, he understood the truth of the powerful of Scripture, which, by the way, Jesus is throughout all of Scripture. The Bible is about Jesus. So he understood that people need to understand the Bible, not our opinions, okay? So we get a chance to explain Jesus to other people. Make sure you're talking about who Jesus is from what the Bible says, not your opinion, not, oh, this is the tradition I grew up in. Not your, my impression is this. What does this Bible say about Jesus? Which goes to show you how important it is that we are continually reading and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who is Jesus. I want to know him more. I want to really understand who he is, not just because my pastor told me, not just because I've learned this. How has he revealed himself to me in the scriptures? through the Bible. That's so important. And it's precisely in doing this very thing, it says that he talked to him through the scriptures about who Jesus is, that we see the Ethiopian comes to faith in Jesus. Look what, look what happens next. He says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he, com- and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now, it's not clear how the eunuch knew about the significance of baptism, whether Philip either explained it to him or he heard about it in Jerusalem. Either way, either way, his desire to be baptized shows his responsiveness to the message of the gospel. Just as the people, remember the people in Samaria, what does it say? They all, men and women, they all, they all came to faith, they all believed and were baptized, okay? Same thing happened there prior to the meeting of this guy. As you guys, as we all know, not all of us, but most of us know, baptism is an outward expression of our faith, of our commitment and our union with Christ and his death and his resurrection, but it's also an act of obedience to the command of Jesus. I, I saw this verse. I don't know how I came across it this week in my study. I don't remember ever reading this verse. 
but I'm sure I did because it's in a book I've read through before. And Jesus told his disciples, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And I know some people use this verse to say, until you're baptized, you're not saved. That's not what it's saying. That's what it's saying. According to Jesus, though, he's saying is an important aspect of declaring our faith and our commitment to him. It doesn't save us. Baptism doesn't save, yet it's the way that we acknowledge that we belong to him. And he's told us to do it. If you say you belong to me, proclaim it. Show it. Get baptized. Go down in that water saying, I want to relate to my death to my sin. I want to be cleansed by your blood and by recognize this water. I want to come up brand new, alive in Christ. Baptism is a powerful thing. It's like communion. Now that we've gone to take it every week, every once in a while, I wonder, oh gosh, are, people, are we doing it too often because now it just becomes a rote thing? These kind of sacraments like this, baptism and, and, and communion and things like we need to see these as powerful outward expressions of our faith. Powerful. It's no small thing, especially since Christ himself told us to be a part of them. So he sees the man, believes, he's, he's baptized, and Philip's removed from the scene by the Spirit. That must have been a trip, you know, beam me up, Scotty. I don't know what that was. And he went on his way um, rejoicing. Now, isn't this what we all long for? And I just threw this in on your, on your number five. On yours. Is this what we all long for? To help people come to faith? in Jesus, visibly expressed in the act of baptism and resulting in the kind of inner joy that the world or anything in it can't match. That's our goal. Isn't that what we want? This is what we want for people. This is a good reminder of what we want. Look at the last verse as we wrap it up here. Philip found himself at Azotos. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. We see here that Philip finds himself really about 20 miles north now of Gaza, outside of Jerusalem, and he makes his way up the coast towards the capital of Judea. And look, he's sharing the gospel all the way. And interesting enough, it's going to be 20 years until we hear from Philip again. We're going to hear from him again when we get to Acts 21 in about three years, um, down the road. It'll be 21 where the apostle Paul actually, who for now is Saul, remember he's doing their persecuting, but in 21, we're going to see that he actually comes and stays at Philip's house as he's going on through his travels in Caesarea. Just amazing. Now here's the, here's the thing, guys. This story is not meant to make us feel like we have not done what we, we, we've been supposed to do, okay? It's not meant to make us feel guilty, so oftentimes we see stories like this and go, I could never be a Philip. Yeah, you can't. You're not supposed to be. Or we say, oh, I I'm, just, I'm, just not, I'm just not doing enough. I'm lame at this whole area of personal evangelism. But lastly on your notes, this story is meant to serve as a reminder to us that God graciously invites each one of us to participate in his work of drawing people to himself through the life and work of Jesus. That's what it's meant to be. Not a guilt trip at all. It's meant to be a reminder. We don't need to wait until we find confidence enough to say all the right things or get our lives completely in order before we share the gospel. God longs to use ordinary, broken, flawed, messed up people 
just like you and just like me, right where we are today to share the gospel. People, he's looking for people that understand that this is our purpose in life. This is our mission in life, to be a part of God's plan of drawing people to himself. As we said last week, to be sent and to be scattered missionaries and harvesters wherever we find ourselves. Now, I just want to say one last thing about this that I have, a, I didn't want to say it or not, but I think it's a good idea to say this. I think it really, it really starts um, with having a heart that really breaks for the lost. And I just want to ask you this morning, I, almost, I want to ask myself, do you, do I, do we have hearts that break for the lost? Because if one thing the enemy's going to do like crazy is going to get us to be distracted from anything but sharing our faith with other people and being excited about sharing our lives with better. Do we long for people? I love that song. Break my heart for what breaks yours. That's a great prayer to pray. Be careful, because <laughs> you just might. But does our heart break? Does my heart break for the lost? Not just my lost family members, not just for my lost, one of my sons who I know needs to know Jesus, but does it break when I go to the grocery store and I see that same person all the time that check out after I'm getting to know, or my neighbor, does it break for my neighbor that I know doesn't know Jesus? I think we need to be praying that way. We need to be individuals. We need to be a church that is praying that God would break our hearts for those who do not know him, those that are lost in their sins, that we would long to be people. I want that. I was out there just praying the other day. I was praying. I was praying. I was going long, praying long. I prayed for Jeremiah and Dana, and I was praying for you guys, and, and I was praying. I was thinking, but God, do I, does my heart break? For the people to know, no, no, you. I mean, am I a clanging cymbal, a gong? Do I love people? I don't. I don't like I, I need to and like I should. These elements of sharing my faith mean nothing if I don't love these people, if I don't have a heart for them to come to know you because I care about them as you're, as you're creating your image. As we go into communion right now, I want to, I just kind of want to invite you guys, and this is what's just on my heart this week as I was preparing this message, that, that during communion, maybe we take some time to ask God to do two things. One, confess our lack, because that's what I need to do, our lack of passion for people to come to know Jesus. The, my lack of a broken heart for the lost. And then ask God, during this time, knowing that we're forgiven for that, and he says, I got you. And then ask him to give me a heart that breaks for the lost, and then show me how you want to use me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, which is so powerful. I thank you for this great example of a man willing to just be so faithful and follow you. We want to be that. God, I, I, I want that so bad. I feel like I fall so short. God, you want us 
to be missionaries where we are. That's, we are missionaries in our office. We are missionaries in our classroom. We're, we're missionaries everywhere. But God, we, we can't do it on our own strength. We can't even love people like we should unless you show us your love for them. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for the lost and then move us into action to loving the lost and being a part of drawing them to yourself now, God. And as we take communion now, may this time be a time where you, you allow us to just be in your presence in a way that lets us just know how much you love us, but know that you have so much for us that we can share with others. In Christ's name.